Hey, good morning. My name is Eric Ramachis, and I'm with the worship music here. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. We found in your pew Bible on page 474. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome. My name is Rob and I am one of the assistant pastors here. We're thankful that you've joined us this morning. Uh, welcome if you are joining us on live stream because you're traveling this weekend or because you're stuck behind some motorcycles at the moment. We are glad you've joined us there as well. This morning we're continuing in our sermon series on the gospel in the life of David and, and we started this series back in the cold days of January and these past few weeks we've been in sort of a mini-series if you will. We've slowed down a bit to look at some of the darkest nights and some of the ugliest days of David's life. And one might think you're tempted to try to speed on past this or skip over it altogether, but we've intentionally slowed down so that we might learn all that we can from this portion of God's word and from this season of David's life. We're in our third and final week of looking at this season of his life. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the actual events, Bathsheba, violated, Uriah killed, and David's cover-up. Last week, James preached about the unveiling, about the confronting of David, and this week as we look at Psalm 51, we're going to look at David's inner life. We're going to look at how he processes this in his soul. So let's pray now and ask God to be at work in our soul this morning. Pray with me. 
Father, would you quiet any distractions in our hearts and minds? We ask that your spirit would be at work in all of us this morning, in the one that preaches, and in those who hear, all of us need your grace uh, more than we even know. We pray that you would come in power in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you are no doubt uh, familiar with Leo Tolstoy's novel, Anna Karenina. If you've read it or read some of it, you, you might know that the first sentence of it says that all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And in those, uh, those opening sentences of the novel, you find out why this particular uh, family is unhappy. It's because Prince Steva Oblansky has been found out. His deeds have been uncovered, as the translation puts it. He was carrying on an intrigue with a French girl, and that has come to light. And now Tolstoy says that uh, Oblansky's way of dealing with this reality is just to kind of throw himself into the daily cares of life, to try to forget himself in those everyday tasks. He says that he tries to forget himself in the daily dream of life. Maybe you're not familiar with that example. Let me, let me give you one more, uh, another classic of Western culture, the television show, um, The Office. Uh, in that particular uh, show, there's an episode where the main character, Michael Scott, is found out by his girlfriend, Jan. It's been found out that he's broke and, and deeply in debt. And so his way of dealing with that is he's standing in his office. He looks outside his office park and he sees a freight train going by. And so he takes off running, committed to jump on that train and live a life of riding the rails, right? And, and as farcical as that might seem, uh, the writers put that scene in there because they know every single one of us has had that impulse, Right? Every single one of us has wanted to run as far as we can from the mess that we've created. What do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you're undone? When you've been found out, when the stage of your life is littered with broken relationships, dysfunction, and despair, David's answer to that question is Psalm 51. That's what we see there. That's his response to being undone and being found out. And the challenge for us this morning when we come to a text like this is that here among us, there, there might be a handful of us who this very morning are in that spot. I imagine with this many people, there are some here that, that find themselves today in that spot. But what of the rest of us? What are we supposed to do? A couple thoughts on that. Uh, one, if you're not in that spot right now, thank God, but also realize you're not beyond finding yourself in that spot. Hopefully after the past couple of weeks, if you've learned anything, you've learned that you're not beyond finding yourself where David found himself. Oh, please don't sit here and think, well, well, I would never do that. I've never done it. I never will. Uh, commit adultery, murder, violate, never. Because if you're feeling that way, Jesus comes to you in the Sermon on the Mount and says, oh, oh, really? 
right? He says there in Matthew chapter 5, hey, if, if you've been angry at that person, that's the same judgment coming to you as the judgment that comes to murder. If you've looked lustfully at someone, Jesus says in Matthew 5, then you've committed adultery because God cares about the heart. And this morning, if we step back from the daily distractions and if we're quiet for a moment and, and we make things about the heart, then I bet you, venture to guess that, that we might be undone much sooner and more frequently than we ever imagined. So how do we process it when we become undone? This morning we're going to see that what David does is recognize, and then he receives, and then he reveals. We're going to use those three words, those three verbs, as as a framework for us to look at Psalm 51. First, we, we see that David recognizes that he's undone, and we need to recognize that we're undone. Psalm 51 is about David's repentance, all right? It's about his repentance, and when I mention that word, let's just make sure we're all on the same page about what we're talking about when we talk about repentance, because we talk about it in a setting like this a lot, but I'm not sure we all understand what it means. Sometimes we use that word, and I want to be careful. Yeah, I'm reminded of that scene, uh, Inigo Montoya right? And the princess bride. You keep using that word. I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? So when we're using repentance, when we speak of it, often uh, a lot of us think it means, well, it's just feeling really bad for your sin. But we need to see that it's it's much deeper and much more than that. So even as we make our way through these three points, looking at uh, recognizing and receiving and revealing. With every point, we're going to look at what false repentance or unhealthy repentance looks like, and then we're going to look what true and real and godly repentance, David's repentance, looks like. So when it comes to recognizing that we're undone, you know, instead of doing this, instead of admitting our brokenness and confessing it and acknowledging it, uh, we respond in other ways many times. Sometimes we just deny it. We're exposed, and we, we say things like, well, I don't know where that come from. That, that's really not who I am. I don't even know who it was that did that. That's, that's so unlike me. That, that's our way, rather than acknowledging it, of denying it. And if we don't deny it, we, we start playing the blame game, right? And that, that, friends, that's a tale as old as time. From our first parents in the garden, when they first saw their sin, their brokenness, that they had failed and brought misery into the world, the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, and we've been blaming others or our circumstances ever since. But David will have none of that in Psalm 51. He does not deny, he, he does not buy, um, blame, he, he recognizes and owns it. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He can't unsee them. He can't get away from them. He remembers and knows them full well and he says, in a sense, I can't escape them. In verse 3, we see that he, he acknowledges his transgressions and then in verse 4, he acknowledges acknowledges who he's transgressed. Do you remember last week when James was talking about the sinfulness of sin? He says one of the reasons sin is so heinous is because it's relational. 
Sin destroys relationships. It violates them. We see that again here in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And again, we read that and we're tempted to say, really, David, against, against God only? Because it seems like you sinned against Bathsheba. Seems like you sinned against Uriah and Joab, and we could go, keep going, but what's this you and you only? Hear these uh, helpful words from one commentator. Sin is like treason. If you try to overthrow your own country, you may harm or kill individuals in the process, but you will be tried for treason because you have betrayed the entire country that has nurtured you. So every sin is cosmic treason. It is overthrowing the rule of the one to whom you owe everything. All right, and and, in acknowledging his cosmic treason, David also comes to this terrifying realization. He comes to realize that, God, because of what I've done, whatever comes next, whatever you say next and whatever you do next, you're completely justified in what you do. Verse 5, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You are moving towards healthy repentance if you realize this morning that because of your treasonous acts, God has every right to require your life of you this day. That the very breath in your lungs as you sit here is a gift of his extravagant grace. Right, and David goes so far in owning and recognizing his own sin that he's undone that he says, hey, it's been this way from day one. It's been this way from the beginning. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity. And we've got to acknowledge the same thing if we're going to recognize it. I love what uh, Augustine says. He's writing his biography. He writes, I don't, I don't only love what he says. I love that when he writes about his biography, he writes about what he was like when he was an infant. All right? Augustine, writing in the late 4th century, church leader from Algeria, says this. When I did not get my way, writing about himself as an infant, when I did not get my way either because I was not understood or lest it be harmful to me, I used to be indignant with my seniors for their disobedience and with free people who were not slaves to my interest. And I would revenge myself upon them by weeping. This is the way of infants I have learned from those I have been able to watch. Uh, And if you don't find Augustine uh, helpful, maybe my sister's Facebook post from this past week will do the trick. (laughs) All right, kids, I need you to listen up this morning, especially kids who are here that are uh, big brothers or big sisters. Maybe this will sound familiar. Uh, The toddler's rules of possession. All right, got it? Toddler's rules of possession. Uh, If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) Friends, David... David recognizes that he's undone, that it's been that way since he was born. And he doesn't deny it or blame it. He owns it and then he looks for and finds and receives grace. 
Recognizing we're undone and receiving grace. David, in his darkest hour, goes to God to receive only what God can give him, forgiveness and transformation, but that's not often what we do. Unhealthy repentance. What does that look like? It looks like instead of looking for grace, it looks like staying in our shame and in our self-loathing. We might be around the things of God. We might be here on Sundays, but, but we have no sense of God's affection for us, of his love for us, because we believe that just can't be true, that that, that intimacy with God stuff, that's for all those well-dressed people sitting around me, but it can't be for me because of what I've done. We either sit in our shame and self-loathing or we get busy working. We start doing some sort of salvation calculus that says, well, I've messed up this bad, so if I want to get back on the big man's good side, this is what I got to do. Maybe I need to start giving this much, writing these kinds of checks. Maybe I need to just put together a streak of a few months or a few years of above-average performance and then maybe I'll squeak in. But again, Psalm 51 has no place for that kind of thinking. From the very first sentence there, the very first verse, it's clear. David is in pursuit. He's seeking mercy and grace. And, and do you see why he has hope for finding it? You see it in that phrase. He, he has hope in finding it because that speaks of the steadfast love of God, right? That never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreakable, always-and-forever love of God, David hasn't forgotten. So he goes in pursuit of grace and mercy. In verse 1 and 9, we see it in both of those places. David asked God to blot out his sins and transgressions. Blot them out. That is, he knows that there's an accounting of all the times he's committed cosmic treason. He says, God, I need those to be erased. I need those to be wiped out, blotted out. God, maybe no one else saw it, but you saw it. You saw my actions and not just my actions, um, but my thoughts and my motives. And every time they don't match up with your desire and your design, that's another entry in the ledger of my cosmic treason. And David knows and acknowledges his full well. Um, what, what would your ledger look like? If you just thought about the past seven days, what would your ledger look like? I'm saddened by the thought of the number of entries in my ledger. And not just seven days, think about seven months or seven years or 70 years. Friends, our, our hope isn't that we can balance out our ledgers. All right? No, no hope of that. Can we look at what David doesn't write here? While we're talking about this uh, salvation calculus, look at what he doesn't write. He doesn't, he doesn't say, God, I, I know there's this Bathsheba thing, but let's not forget about Goliath, right? That was pretty good. God, I know there's Uriah, but let's not forget that I, I, I did defeat tens of thousands of your enemies. That's got to count for something. He doesn't try to say that Goliath, plus bringing the ark back, plus putting Mephibosheth at his table. I said that name right. That was all I was worried about this morning. Uh, 
He doesn't say that all those things added up together help take care of this Bathsheba stuff. No, he says, um, cleanse me, purge me, hide your face from my sins, and the only hope I have of you doing that is your steadfast love and mercy. That's his only hope. That's our only hope. Verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. I'm sure some of you are saying, what in the world is hyssop? It's a wild shrub, all right? It's branches. How does that make him clean? You see, the point wasn't hyssop itself, but what hyssop was used to do. It's like it's like a paintbrush, if you will, the branches of this shrub used to dip into something and then, then smear it on something and paint it. First appears in Exodus 12 in that last plague where God is bringing his people out of Egypt because, because of sin. There's judgment that's coming in this plague and the firstborn of all the people, Israelites and Egyptians will die because yes, the Israelites are slaves and the Egyptians are oppressors, but they're all sinful and guilty before God. And he says, every firstborn will die of Israelites and Egyptians unless you take some hyssop, you dip it in the blood of the lamb, you put it on your lentils and over your door, and then... I will let the blood of the lamb stand in your place, and I will pass over. All right, David says, purge me with hyssop. Let the blood of the lamb count instead of my blood. Sure, the Israelites could see just like we might see, right? Okay, That's the blood of the lamb and Passover after Passover. We'll sacrifice lots of them. But how does that equate or count for human sin? Well, it's because of grace. And that answer is ultimately answered in the New Testament. We find the answer there when, in many places, but one of them is when John the Baptist lays eyes on Jesus and says, Behold, look, the, the lamb who takes away the sins of of the world right listen to what Paul says to the church in Colossia he says that Christ canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that is he set this he set aside nailing it to the cross canceled the record of debt David's ledger of cosmic treason your ledger my ledger canceled blotted out, nailed on the cross. David knows that he needs to be cleaned and he knows that he needs to be recreated. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. David knows, okay, that's great. If all this stuff is forgiven, that's all well and good. It's blotted out and and that is merciful and kind. But you know what else I need? I need something to happen inside of here so I don't end back up at those cesspools of sin again. God, I need you to bring about a change. And that word created me a clean heart, that's the same word from Genesis chapter 1 describing that first creation, a miraculous creation out of nothing. That's what God does in our hearts. And again, it's found in Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. We recognize that We're undone, we receive grace. And then these last parts of the poem says that once that's happened, we're called to reveal God. 
All right, again, uh, false repentance, uh, usually it's so self-centered and so self-focused, whether it's blaming others, hiding, trying to work our way out from under it. Ultimately, the problem is it's all about ourselves when we're wrapped up in this false repentance. Even our grief, we think about like, oh, well, look what I did, how I hurt this person. And we're tempted to protect ourselves and protect our reputations, our self-worth. We think about how terrible it might be if our wife finds out or if our church friends find out. We, we say something like this. Um, I'm, con- I'm fine confessing it to God, but, but I don't want anyone else to know, right? There's a lot of twisted thoughts wrapped up in that statement. Think, think with me for a second. I'm fine uh, coming before a holy and just, all-powerful creator of all things and letting him know I've committed cosmic treason against him and his kingdom, uh, but I don't want little Sally in my community group to know what I've done. Right? Or, or I realize that in Christ I have abundant and rich grace that's more than I'll ever need, but I'm just too embarrassed if the guys at the club find out what I've done. And for the record, I, I have to reason with myself at times for that and remind myself of those reality. Uh, here in Psalm 51, David doesn't hide his shame. He, he uses his experience to reveal God to others. Right? Look there at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. David's repentance causes him to lean into the lives of others, into the lives of those who are broken, right? Let's not commit that David so, let's not miss that David's so committed to teaching transgressors that he includes a poem like this in the national hymnal, right? You see down in verse 18, it mentions Zion and Jerusalem. That, that keys us and reminds us he is indeed the king. And he knows what affects him affects the nation. And he wants his nation to know these truths about God and his grace. And so he's willing to share his brokenness. He's willing to share truths like um, if you offer sacrifices to God, but your heart is not shattered by your undoneness and, and aware of your mercy and grace, then those sacrifices, they're, they're worthless and meaningless. Christians, will, will you consider this with me this morning? How is the world out there supposed to understand the gospel if all they ever meet are respectable Christians who are unwilling to share with them their stories of repentance. How's the gospel going to make sense to them if we refrain from sharing uh, our brokenness, our, our, our challenges, our failures, and how our God came and met us and forgave us and transformed us? Okay, now that uh, this morning I'm not advocating that you go and vomit all of your junk on unsuspecting people, Okay. That's not what I'm calling you to do. Use wisdom and discernment. But in vulnerability, would we grow and be transparent and say, let me share with you where I was, some of the things I'm ashamed I've done, but the peace that I have knowing that God has forgiven me and the transformation I've seen in my life. 
And people might come to understand this gospel and this grace that we speak of. The final thing that we see for moving towards true repentance, if we're on that path, a good question for us to ask ourselves is, how, how do we sing? How do you sing? David says in 14 and 15, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. If there's one thing that living for eight years in South Africa shortly after apartheid ended, it's this. taught me it's this, that um, people who long for freedom and people that have tasted a longed-for freedom, they know how to sing, right? They, uh, and I'm not talking about skill and pitch. I'm talking about passion and heart and sincerity, Think of one of the most famous hymn songs in our church's history, right? It's no coincidence that it was written by a former slave trader, right? Imagine if John Newton, imagine if he would have refrained to share with us his journey of repentance, right? For John Newton, when he talks about being blind and lost and a wretch, those aren't abstract theological propositions, and neither is the amazing grace he writes about. See, amazing grace is John Newton's Psalm 51. He shared with the world God's faithfulness in the midst of his brokenness. And so, just a minute or two, we're going to sing these words. Come, behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the lamb in victory. And now we can sing those words because they're printed on that page and that's what we do after the sermon is we sing the song and that means I'm closer to going out to brunch at Founding Farmers or maybe heading to the cookout and I got tomorrow off so it's all gravy. We can, that, we can, that's one way we can sing those words. Or, or we can sing those words and, and, and we can ask God for the grace to recognize that, that we are that ruined sinner that you are that I am and maybe this morning you recognize it for the first time we recognize that we're that ruined sinner and that positions us perfectly to receive grace from this victorious lamb Jesus Christ and then and then how can we not help but sing in a way that reveals God to those around us and that carries us outside those doors to a world to help them see this God of mercy and steadfast love. Let us pray. Father, would you indeed do just that? Give us grace to recognize this morning that as we sing about this ruined sinner, it's not a hypothetical, it's not abstract, it's me. I am the man. Help us to see that, to know that not just uh, intellectually, but internally in our souls. And let us, uh, would you use that to move us to seek grace and find grace in Christ. And then let us live lives that reveal who you are to the world around us. Would you do this for your glory and your renown? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.